Hello, this is John Mangini, Vice President of Marketing with the New Jersey Bankers Association. Welcome to the New Jersey Banker Podcast. Today, our President and CEO, Micah Fuso, sits down with David Wildstein, Editor-in-Chief of the New Jersey Globe, for a discussion on the most recent election results, the impacts of early voting, a look at the 2024 election cycle, and more. This episode is brought to you by Shield Compliance. Shield Compliance transforms how financial institutions manage risk, comply with regulations, and satisfy operational demands associated with serving the legal cannabis industry. With Shield, bankers can grow their portfolios, gain an early mover advantage on new relationships, and benefit from the low-cost deposits and non-interest income that come from the cannabis-related business. For more information, please visit shieldbanking.com. Thanks, John, and thank you to my guest, David Wildstein, Editor-in-Chief of the New Jersey Globe. So, David, there was great hope and discussion among Republicans that heading into Tuesday's election, they could build on the momentum that they had from 2021. What happened? So this was the first election under a new legislative map that was a deal map between both parties that gave both parties a path to winning and losing seats. Uh, Republicans were expected to pick up. They, they had been griping for 20 years that they needed this this map that at least had an opportunity uh, under the right circumstances to uh, pick up seats in the Senate and Assembly, give them a path to a majority. There was some talk about maybe Republicans uh, with with the right uh, set of issues could move uh, enough seats to get majorities in one or both of the houses. At the end of the day, they had their worst possible outcome. Uh, they they lost everywhere. Uh, they they lost a senator in the third district. They lost uh, they lost uh, uh, assembly seats, including one that 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 was is in one of the most Republican districts in the state, and. Uh, and they weren't able to lay a glove on vulnerable Democratic incumbents in districts there where the Republicans should have been competitive. So so which one surprised you the most and why? Uh, the one that's the, the, to me, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. Rabbi Avi Schnall in District 30. Uh bedrock Republican, you know, big Donald Trump district, the Jack Chitterelli district, uh, Ocean County. Uh, Democrats shouldn't even be competitive. And a Democrat from Lakewood won right now. It's about 10,000 votes that he won by. So there were people saying he couldn't win. And and it was just it was just a blowout. And what happened was uh, their turnout uh, in Lakewood was, and remember 2023, it's, it's off, off year. It's the lowest turnout of any cycle when the legislature heads the ticket, their turnout in Lakewood was 123% over their turnout in the 2020 presidential election. Uh, this is now you have a democratic assemblyman representing a, a hugely Republican district. He's a conservative Democrat. Uh, but he is there representing the Lakewood uh, Orthodox Jewish community, and and there were lines out the door for early voting, and 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 you know I've never I'm, I'm doing this. I mean, it's going to make me seem old, but this is my 50th year in New Jersey politics, which means this was my 25th legislative election, 
and and I started going through old numbers yesterday. I there was a uh, there was an eighteen thousand vote difference between Sean Keen who won and and Assemblyman Ned Thompson who lost. There has never been a difference of that kind of number anywhere even remotely resembling that kind of a number between two running mates in the same election. So that one was that that'll be one. That's going to be one that I'm going to remember forever. And, you know, a lot of these races, you know, I, I, I like to think I remember them all, but it was this is one of those races that is just going to stick with me because it just it defied all sense of political gravity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I cut my teeth in North Hudson yeah. and uh, that that the output out of Lakewood would would make Ryan Stack and, and Nick Sacco jealous. I mean, really unbelievable, unbelievable stuff there. So, well, who who are the biggest winners and losers from Tuesday? So, so I think there's. Uh, I mean, it's actually you know it's it's a it's a it's a bigger list than you may think. But but uh, I mean, number number one, you got to give props to Governor Phil Murphy here uh, because he is the first two term governor in New Jersey history to pick up legislative seats. Uh, in in the sixth year of his governorship, it has never happened before. Uh, you get fatigue with the governor. Uh, it's it's you you had a better map, and and he is now you know plus five in the assembly, beating Ed Durr, which was another great race. And and Murphy, unlike Brendan Byrne or Christy Whitman or Chris Christie, Murphy wasn't the issue. In this election, people weren't running attack ads against Phil Murphy. They were talking about his policy. They would mention, you know, that that, that you know, liberal progressive policies, you know, whether it's affecting business or, or climate change or uh, or the culture wars. But he wasn't the guy. It wasn't TV ads against Phil Murphy. He didn't. Uh, he really he really didn't get hurt at all in this election. And now he, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, you know, we. You know, we all know, you know at some point, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, somebody's going to go pick up that that Fitzgerald's legislative manual, the Bible of New Jersey, the New Jersey legislature and government. And they're going to go through the numbers. They're going to go, wait a minute, who's this Murphy guy? How did he win seats in his second midterm? So, you know, you talk about legacies, which is important in politics. What are you know, what are just facts that people are going to remember? They're going to remember that Phil Murphy picked up seats. George Norcross, uh, who, you know, I stress, despite anything that people have written or said, not retired, not retired, not retired. The guy the, the guy was was in his own war room. He was, you know, actively engaged in every single strategic decision in the South Jersey races. Uh, and and they had they had a great night. They they flipped Ed Durr. They won two assembly seats, not by a lot, but they won two assembly seats in the third. They held the fourth district which was the district that was drawn by Republicans and North and Central Jersey Democrats. Uh, that's how it became fair, is, is the Democrats in the northern part of the state said, well, if you're going to have to make gains, Republican Party, make them down in George Norcross's area, because because we don't re- we don't really want to empower him to have more legislative seats. So uh, he won despite that. He held that fourth district and he did it uh, fairly significantly. Uh, and then. You look at the the you know Kevin McCabe, Middlesex County Democratic Chairman. He was now in charge of the state. 
as Craig, with Craig Coughlin, with Leroy Jones, with Paul Giuliano in charge of holding the seats. They really weren't playing offense any, but anywhere. They were playing defense. They had to hold Vin Gopal. They had to hold Andrew Zwicker. They had to hold Joe Lagana. Those were all supposed to be tough races. And at the end of the day, they were blowouts. I mean, Gopal won by 20 points in a in a in a Republican leaning district in Monmouth County. Uh, isn't isn't that amazing? That's where I live. And if you asked me and you said, Mike, Declan O'Scanlon, what's the story with him? I would tell you very, very safe Republican. Vin won by the same margin that Declan won in a what you would call a marginal district or what I would call a marginal district. Absolutely unbelievable. He ran a great campaign. Uh, and and this is, you know, if you look at what what went wrong for Republicans, you know, you know, losers, it's you know, it's harder to say one person's to blame. You know, I don't I don't blame Senator Bucco, who who took over this year, raised a lot of money. He didn't he didn't pick the candidates. You know, he dealt with the hand that was that was was given to him. So did John DeMeo. Uh, you know, I think Bob Hugan could have done a little bit better on fundraising. That was really supposed to be his talent. And they didn't have the the money there to do it. But it's, it's harder to blame an individual Republican to, to say that they're the loser. The the losers in a lot of places are are the people that pick these candidates. Uh, you didn't get first tier recruits. So you're from Monmouth County. You, 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 you'll know the names that I'm, I'm talking about. You know, they, you know, Tom Arnone, the county commissioner director, you know, huge vote getter, Christine Hanlon, the county clerk, extraordinary vote getter. Uh, they declined. They, they said they didn't want to run for, for the Senate. They weren't interested in serving the Senate. So they get, you know, all they had, and, and the two Republican assembly women, uh, who were elected two years ago in the only split district in the state, uh, they didn't want to run for the Senate. They wanted to try and stay in the assembly. By the way, they didn't get to. They got, you know, you know what I'm calling gope tails, uh, <laughs> of Vin Gopal's, you know, coattails there. So you got, well, you're left with this guy named Steve Denistrian that had never, you know, not only had never run for office, he had never worked on a political campaign before. He had and and, you know, maybe he was a nice guy, but he was he was not somebody that was a top tier recruit. You know, you go to you go down to the fourth district and and, you know, which was supposed to be, you know, for, for the last year, I was looking at the fourth is probably a probable pickup. Uh, they they nominated a guy for the Senate named Chris Del Burrell. And I got to tell you, I got to know him just a little bit. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. Good family man. You know, loves his loves his kids, you know, active in the community. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, one of the takeaways here is you can't you can't be in a family business that essentially operates in in the legal trafficking of of women. You know, he his family business is is he owns an escort service. You know, he, 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 you know, you know, again, I mean, you know, look, we're all for, you know, we're, we're, we're all capitalists here. We're all looking at, you know, you know, what, you know, what business can do to earn a profit, but, but he books, you know, he books strippers for bachelor parties. That's one of the things the business does, you know, it's honest work, but it's given this though, is this, does this mean that they're going to be, they meaning the GOP are going to be in a permanent minority because if they can't recruit top tier candidates in a, Second midterm election. When can they? 
And and is it just, you know, catch as catch can for the GOP for the near future? Well, you know, candidates are one thing. They've, you know, if they can't get good candidates and they can't get good money and they can't get their act together on vote by mail and early voting, which is an advantage. And if you don't take advantage of an advantage, it's your own detriment. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they could be a permanent minority unless circumstances are such where uh, uh, where you know where you're creating a, a situation of a wave and you haven't had a Republican wave since Florio you know tried to tax toilet paper and raise taxes by 2.8 million dollars. So you know yeah for the time being it doesn't doesn't look good. I mean if you look at the numbers you know and the, the you know you know bankers are all about numbers, right? I mean it's it, you know bottom yeah. lines uh, Republicans are at 29 assembly seats. So instead of having to gain seven next time, they've got to gain 12. And when you start thinking about how much does an assembly campaign cost, which is which is into the seven figures, it's a couple million dollars to run a good legislative race. If you've got to be if you've got to be fighting in six legislative districts and you need, you know, three million dollars per district you know if they can't solve their fundraising problem then it's not going to go go anywhere yeah i think i think that's what you're looking at i think you're looking at a permanent minority and by the way mike it's not like it's not like the republicans they you know they they saw a path but none of them were none of them were anticipating a majority they were hoping for a significant enough minority that they could make a difference that they only would need a couple Democratic senators to not support what was up for a vote, and they'd be able to stop things. And that's not there now. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you one other number, that, and then I'll then I'll then I'll then I'll stop on this ramp. But Craig Coughlin, Speaker of the Assembly, who you know who has now fifty-one Assembly seats, he's got forty-one Democratic Assembly seats without touching South Jersey. So he doesn't have to deal with George Norcross and with any rebellion from the South. He's got it. And he doesn't need any Republicans to throw him any votes. He can get to 41 and pass a bill without Republicans and without South Jersey Democrats. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really interesting number. It really is, because that's uh, 51 is a big number. And, and 41, as we know, is, is the is the magic number. You know, you, you raise the issue about fundraising. And um, the amount of money it costs to win a seat, you know, we could talk about the Gopal seat or the or the fourth district. Um, but we passed the New Jersey legislature passed this elections transparency bill to shed some light on outside money. Do you think the election was more transparent, less transparent? And what was the role of all of this outside money? Because the election the was a lot spent. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because the Election Transparency Act made elections this year less transparent. Uh, by by eliminating that that 48 hour notice of who was spending and making it possible for somebody to work around the technicalities and not show anything. The greatest example is one the New Jersey Globe's been on, you know, you know, pretty aggressively are these fan was a phantom candidate uh, for Senate in the fourth district that all of a sudden there was this this secret group, this, you know, you know, dark money group out of a post office box in Jamaica, Queens, that is suddenly up on the air uh, running TV ads on Fox News saying, don't vote for the Republican, vote for this guy who's a conservative. And nobody can find this guy. You know, it's just a 
phantom candidate who was put on there, it'll come out, but there was no opportunity for the public to know who was, uh, uh, who was funding him until probably for about 20 days after the election. And, and this is really interesting because the Republicans went to court on the Friday before the election, and they got a judge to agree with them that this looks a little shady. And that judge froze their bank account, froze the bank account of the secret dark money group. You know, the problem is you can't take back what's already been spent. And sure. my guess, when you look at it, it's only a guess. I have no way of knowing is by the time the judge froze the bank account, there wasn't very much left in the account anyway. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I, I was following it. You know, it, at least, you know, you could you could say if you look at the the vote, the raw vote that that, that candidate got, uh, it would not be enough to tip the election. But but it's it's really interesting um, how much of this outside money comes in. But you don't know about the suppression part of that. Either. Sure. You don't I agree. You know, you don't know how many people didn't how many Republicans didn't come out to vote because they were being told that their candidate was some sort of a rhino. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. You know, it's uh, um, it's 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 so New Jersey is an interesting place. You think about the cost by media in Philly and New York City. Um, I was involved in many a campaign and many a media buy. And it's New Jersey is it's the, the cost is just outrageous. And I, I I just wonder where we go from here. You you touched on early voting and the advantage that um, this gives if you choose to embrace it and Democrats have embraced it and Republicans have not. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that affected what went on on Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, it basically, uh, you know, no pun intended for this podcast, but but Democrats were able to bank votes. Before the polls even opened, they had huge edges because they are they are put getting Democrats uh, at a much faster rate, almost in some cases a, a a two to one or three to one or even four to one margin of getting Democrats to vote in advance, either by filling out a vote by mail ballot or by getting them to the polls early. So by the time people even begin voting you've got to have that many more Republicans turning out and, and showing up at the polls and, and Democrats just dominated in that category. And I'll go give you one, you just, just, just one anecdotal uh, example because uh, they've been working on this for, for close to two years after Ed Durr beat Steve Sweeney. Uh, the people in South Jersey who are as astute as anywhere, uh, they looked at the modeling. And they said, wow, off off year election, low turnout. It's going to be hard for us to beat Ed Durr. So rather than say, yeah, we can't win this district, they decided, well, let's just change that model. So they added about 6,000 Democrats to the automatic vote by mail list. Uh, people who were unlikely to vote in an off off year 2023 election now, at least the ballot made its way into their homes and it's sitting on the kitchen table. And what you saw in, you know, in, in these are these you, one of the you, know, you can't obviously you can't ever know how somebody voted, but you know who voted right down to the person. And and about 30 percent of the advance voting in the third and fourth district, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe close to a third came from people came from Democrats 
who typically will vote in presidential or federal year elections and would never otherwise have voted here. So it's that it's that convenience. You know, you get the mail, come the ballot comes to your home. You don't have all you have to do is open it and vote and put it back in the mailbox. In South Jersey, they're really smart. They they even pay the postage on these things too. So, you know, that's you know, they're 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 putting votes in in advance. And unless Republicans uh, get their act together and, and they're sort of admitting it too and saying, uh, you know, we've, you know, this is, these are the rules and, and we've got to play it. They're going to continue to get beat. So it's, it's interesting when you think about it, because if you do look at the early voting out of North Hudson, and obviously I, I look to see what, what the homeland is doing. Yeah. Um, you know, our ability to turn out the democratic vote in North Hudson on election day is excellent. But to do something like that in a, non-compact area is very difficult. And that was the advantage of urban Democrats versus suburban Republicans. Now that you have early voting, you would think if the suburban Republicans were fast adopters of it, they would be able to offset the urban machines. But they just I, I understand there's a there's a feeling of they want to vote on Election Day, but it's it's uh, it certainly is to their detriment. I agree. Um, with we're, we're, we're running a little bit short on time, but I, I didn't want to highlight one other piece, and I want to talk a little bit about federal politics. What do you think about the Senate race in New Jersey in 24, and what do you think about the presidential race? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the the Senate race is going to be an interesting primary with Menendez's indictment, and uh, I don't think he's going to run again. I, I mean, you know, he's he is he is as smart as they come in certain play areas like like political campaigns. He's he knows he can't win with an eight percent approval rating. He's not going to subject himself to this. So you've got Tammy Murphy and Andy Kim. Uh, that's going to be a good primary. Andy Kim is a, is a great candidate. Tammy Murphy is I think she could be a really good candidate, too. Uh, you know, she's got some good policy chops. She is just probably one of the ma- most amazing fundraisers. I'll, I'll tell you this. I do think this is uh, this is all about a Democratic primary next year. New Jersey hasn't elected a Republican U.S. Senator since 1972. 48 other states, everywhere but Hawaii, has elected a Republican to the U.S. Senate since New Jersey did it last time. Jersey is a blue state, and they they like Republican governors as often as they you know they like Democrats. But but when it comes to federal election issues. They're going to elect a, a a Democrat and especially in a presidential year and presidential elections. Boy, I don't I don't know. This is just I mean, you you know, you're 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 talking about, you know, sort of, a you know, for for people like you and I that have been watching this for a long time. You know, I sort of feel like I'm living in an alternate universe and I'm not I'm not saying anything good or bad about the candidates because my job is to is to is to stay right in the middle and only you know, only present information and not opinion, because I'm so tired of reporters offering their, their their opinions on policy issues. But but you've got, you know, you've got, you know, the likely Republican nominee for president indicted in four different places. And you've got a sitting Democratic president who, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I can say it because it's true. He's really, really old. I'm not saying he's a bad man. I'm not saying he's a good or a bad president, but he's really, really old. And you see polling from Democrats, independents who say, you know, yeah, we have some concerns about his age. So I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. And, and you know, there's I, I can tell you this. You won't see presidential candidates in New Jersey in 2024 unless it's to raise money. I get it. Such a, such an interesting world that we work in. I, I really I could do this and have this conversation every week 
for two hours a week. I really appreciate your time. Uh, David Wildstein, editor-in-chief of New Jersey Globe, for the New Jersey Banker Podcast. I'm Micah Fuso.